Bubble presents the No Code Hustle, where we speak with founders, builders, and makers who are building the next generation of tech products all without code. I'm your host, Eric Israni. Welcome. Thanks for joining me. You are my inaugural guest, which is fantastic because you were also one of the first, I think the first bubbler to greet me in my new job here at Bubble. And so I appreciate that. Thanks for being my first guest. Thanks, Eric. Thanks for having me. Great. Um, So let's start just by asking. uh, Give us your name and and tell me about your app. Sure. My name is Jonathan Timianko. I am the founder of PeerShare.com. So PeerShare.com is the first ever secure boat docking platform slash app. So what that means is we're kind of similar to Airbnb, but for docks for boats. So if a person has a dock located behind their house, maybe a restaurant owner has a dock attached to their restaurant retail store, maybe a person owns a dock in a marina, they can list their boat dock on our platform. And then boaters who are looking for dock space Either maybe they're sailing down the coast or they're looking for dock space in their local community. They can connect with those dock owners who uploaded the listings uh, to the platform. Similar to Airbnb, we handle customer service, payments, all those logistics. We have a standardized set of policies to make sure everything goes smoothly and we are slowly growing. That's great to hear. So right now you're mostly in Florida, is that right? Yes, that's correct. Southeast Florida. But... Nothing restricting people from putting up listings anywhere. That's right. So uh, the launch, we chose South Florida as our launch market because, first off, it's seasonal. It's um, all year round weather. I mean, you get hurricanes, obviously, but uh, there's boating activity all year round. And uh, what's funny is the company actually started in South Florida not because of the environmental factors, but because... I'm actually from New Jersey, mm-hmm. um, so I I was born and raised in New Jersey. I went to, to school in the Northeast. My family never actually had a boat, believe it or not. We had family in the boating world, but mm-hmm. um, and we had been on a couple boats that our family had, but um, we never owned a boat. And what happened was my parents, uh, they moved down to South Florida a couple years ago, and they ended up buying a house on the water with a boat dock attached to it, but because we never owned a boat, the dock was empty. So what happened was I was working in um, a corporate consulting job at the time, and my parents actually rented out the dock space behind their house to a 70-foot motor yacht, and I saw it happen. And when I saw it happen, I just, I had no idea that people who own large yachts ever kept their boats either separate from their own house mm-hmm. or at a marina. I thought it's just like a hotel. It's, you know, you go to a city, you go to a hotel, you know, you stay in a room, you never stay in someone's house. That's what Airbnb, you know, that's yeah. what Airbnb uh, capitalized on. And it, it's a similar thing here where the marinas are very expensive and um, space is very limited. So we actually rented out our own dock and the company started in Southeast Florida just by virtue of me seeing that. So is that a common thing down in Florida where people buy houses and they, they just have this extra dock attached to the back of it? Right. So to go back to your – to answer that question but also to go back to your original question, there are tons of waterfront homes around the country either on lakes or um, on the coast that have 
uh, dock space, but there's no boat behind it. And we've actually done some Google Earth research, and we found out that there are potentially hundreds of thousands of docks around the country that are vacant and just on the waterway. And they basically could be an alternative to the marina um, in their local communities. And, you know, to answer that, you know, the second part of your question, what happened was there there is not a service like ours mm-hmm. out there right now. And just by that first transaction happening behind our house, I actually found out that there are thousands of people who rent private dock space through Craigslist and unsecure methods like classified advertising, calling a friend. Obviously, there's a ton of security concerns, payment concerns when that happens. So it, it just, you know, we just by one transaction happening and me seeing it, I was able to uncover this whole world that that I never knew existed. Yeah, I mean, if, if I had a 70-foot yacht, I definitely want a more secure transaction than Craigslist. That's right. Yeah. Um, so that's great. So you actually, you identified a problem you saw, and then you sought to fix it. You sought to provide a solution. And did you have any kind of tech background before this? Had you been coding? Had you been building things? What have you, what were you doing that led you? Right. So going into this, I had very little boating experience Mm -hmm. and I had a very little tech experience. And now I'm running a boating tech company, (laughs) uh, two years later, life is very interesting. Um, but you know, I think when you look at it, you know, boating experience is as long as you have the money or you have the time, that's relatively easy to acquire, but acquiring tech and coding experience is a whole different, um, that's a whole different uh, arena and much more complicated. Sure, sure. Um, And so you had no tech experience, no coding experience. Correct. And how did did you find Bubble? How did you find the whole no-code movement and, and how did you know it was a good fit? Sure. So when I started the company, I I had a friend from California uh, visiting me uh, in New York, and I had just come back from Florida and saw the transaction I described behind my parents' home, and I, I told him about uh, this company I wanted to start where we could do dock rentals online behind people's homes, and, um, you know, Bubble was, it was launched, and there were, I think, around 50,000 users at the time, but it's obviously a lot bigger today, but at that time, my friend just defaulted and told him, uh, he told me, you should try WordPress. Every site's built on WordPress. Um, I'm sure they have some type of template that you could use in order to build the Airbnb for Docs. So I was, I said to myself, okay, I'll, I'll take a look at that. I set up the hosting. I started using WordPress, and within a week, I pretty much gave up on WordPress. Okay. And the reason is, WordPress is really a blogging platform. Mm-hmm. They're a content management system. So what that means is they basically let, they're very good at letting you type written content and post pictures, putting it up on a web page, maybe tweaking the design a little bit, but the customization pretty much ends at that point. And what was particularly frustrating about WordPress is that um, I didn't like any of their templates at first. I wanted a certain design, and I found out that in order to physically resize a box on WordPress, you had to download a plugin to alter how you uh, alter the size of a box 
So you first have to get a plugin and then read a bunch of documentation on how that plugin works in order to resize a box. So I said to myself, ah, I don't think I'm going to go too far on this, but not only for the design reasons, you know, design is one thing, but on top of that, you need, I knew that I needed user sign-in. I knew, I didn't know distinctly how I would structure the payments in the beginning of the company, but I knew I needed payment functionality, user sign-in, custom design. Pretty much I came to the conclusion I needed a somewhat custom solution, but WordPress wasn't providing it. So without any actual coding background, you still understood how to program. You knew the things you needed to go into this site and how you wanted them to work. I think, you know, at a high level, yes. I didn't know... I knew a database was like a spreadsheet and stored information and then the information was stored on the back end and then it's displayed on the front end. I think that the hardest part about, or at least in the beginning, the hardest part of understanding uh, the tech was, you know, saying to yourself, if you have a user sign-in system, how do you get someone to press a button and then the system recognizes that they signed in? What's that process like under the hood? If someone wants to upload their payment info to a site, you know, storing it in the database is one thing, but how do you get, how do you go from button click to, okay, now there's a credit card in my system and now we know how to use it. So that was a little ambiguous at that point. Okay. And then from WordPress, how did you find your way to Bubble? Right. So after giving up on WordPress, because the design was so difficult, I tried a service called Webflow, mm-hmm. which did, which basically advertised itself as an amazing platform where you could design any site you want and have it be the way you want. So I said to myself, okay, this is, this is better. But then I realized that they didn't have, maybe it's changed today, I don't know, but at that point they didn't have user sign-in. How am I going to handle payments? How am I going to handle all of those really nitty-gritty things that I need to do? So... After searching the internet for a little bit longer, or you know, before doing that, I said to myself, I have two choices here. I could either get a tech co-founder, an engineer, split the equity in half, and just try and build a product, or I could, you know, or as a component of that, raise a bunch of money, or I could not do anything unless I found something else. So I was very keen on finding what what is that third way of doing things? How do I get out of this little hole? And Basically, I found Bubbles from a list of no-code tools or a comparison site. I forgot which one it was, but basically I was led to your homepage and pretty much everything I knew that I needed and all of the other things the other products were not offering. Once I saw your features page, I said to myself, boom, this service does everything that I need and there's no comparison. So you came in, you had an idea, you knew there was a problem that you could solve, and you had a list of things, you like boxes you had to tick. Correct. I need these things. Yep. And you went hunting, and you found yes, Bubble. that's right. And so was there anything about it that was surprising that you, you felt like you needed? Um, anything that, that wasn't exactly what you expected about no code in general, and, and then about Bubble? Sure. So I think, you know, by using the other tools, and I think this applies also... I didn't spend too much time in Wix, but this applies to them also. I think that, you know, when you first go into these tools, you automatically think to yourself, based on what all the other platforms are doing, that 
you're going to be restricted somehow. There's going to be some type of template. There's going to be some type of structure. There's going to be some type of limitation. And it's, it's very easy to think that because these companies that set up these products, they have a certain impression of the way they want their users to use the product. So they create templates and, and, and structure to try and mold their users into those experiences. But the difference between Bubble and all of those other platforms is that Bubble literally hands you a programming language that you can do anything with. So what that means is that there is no limit on what can happen when a, a user clicks a button. So the way when I first, and this didn't hit me really until recently, but the way I thought of Bubble in the beginning was that, you know, it, it's a nice design editor and it's a database and you can keep information. And I think uh, Webflow had, has some type of CMS functionality um, and, you know, they have other, you know, there's the bits and pieces, but the real magic of Bubble, what I found is, and I guess hopefully other companies do this, but this is only particular to Bubble right now, is that it's literally a language. It's a language that is higher level. It's basically a condensed form of code that anybody can use to build anything they want in with any design and any functionality that they want, and there are no limitations whatsoever. So you're saying the only real limitation, and I think this is absolutely true, is your own imagination. That's right. What you can come up with. That's true. As long as you can figure out the logic behind it, you can make it happen. So I, I think that's another, that's a very important point um, and something that I've realized as I've gone through this. Tools and, and products that make things easier are never a substitute for imagination, logic, putting your nose to the grindstone and just hustling and trying to build a product. It makes it infinitely easier and it streamlines the process, but the, the, the things that apply to coding and tech in general at a high level apply here. It's just easier, it's an easier coding process, but you still need to be the one to um, to figure out how it's going to work and then you're given the tools to actually do it. You don't have to rely on somebody else, but you still have to own the process. So you have an idea and you've now discovered the tool that you're going to execute with. How was that transition from working as a consultant, doing this work for other people, to now becoming an entrepreneur, to setting your own destiny? literally sailing away into the sunset. Well, uh, the best comparison <laughs> is that the corporations feel like those restrictive platforms like Webflow and Wix, and they put you in a box and you're constricted. Um, with Bubble, you're an entrepreneur. You're free to do whatever you want. It, it's a night and day. Um, if you're used to structure and certain things and everything that, that you know, maybe this isn't for you, but... Um, if you have a great idea for a product or a platform, there's no easier way to start building a company. And so when you started building, did you immediately leave your job or was this something you were doing nights and weekends? So uh, I didn't leave my job until late 2017. Uh, what, what I did, you know, in the beginning was I, I started really learning the bubble platform and preparing myself on nights and weekends and, you know, part-time. It was 
uh, you know, second half of 2016 into mid 2017, where I was learning bubble. It does not take that long to mm-hmm. learn bubble. It's just it depends on how much stuff you have going on in your life. And, sure. But um, you know, I think for my particular business, there's a lot of complexity to it. There's a lot of market research that needed to be done. I had to learn how to actually build it. Um, so you know, the lead the the lead time in the front on the front end was you know a little tiny bit longer than usual but once i had the tools to go build it then it just became supercharged and was there any time when you were playing and learning that you questioned if this was the right tool or is there a moment when you absolutely knew that this was the right tool so i i think it's it, it's a good question because i think it draws to um, you know a high level a higher level uh, phenomenon that's inherent in technology and coding in general. I think that you, if you understand the base language of Bubble and you understand the core concepts, you, your organization, your platform makes it very clear that you can use that base level of understanding in order to capitalize on it and extend your product however you want. That same thing applies in coding. When people go and learn coding, they spend eight months to a year learning the base languages. And then what they do is they learn additional extensions and features and different ways of doing things on top of that. The difference between Bubble and regular coding is that with Bubble, you get that base language in two to three weeks. With regular coding, it takes eight months to a year. Sure. It's because of the higher level nature of the coding language. So I think you have to... I think you have to phrase the question more like, is it a problem that you're figuring out how to code or is it a limitation of the platform? Very, very rarely is it a limitation of the bubble platform unless your organization has put up a sign and advertised, and I don't think this has happened that often, mm-hmm. but unless unless your organization has made it explicitly clear that this cannot be done yet, then yes, it can be done, and it's not the tool that's the issue. It's your creativity. It's your logic. It's so I've had those moments um, where I've been on that line, but I've always reverted back to the idea that it's not the platform. It's me, and Bubble kind of forces you to realize that faster than regular coding. All right, and and now that you've. You've been with the platform since 2016, so quite some time, right? So looking Late 2017, more okay. 2017, yeah. So three, three and a half years. Yeah. Um, what kind of advice would you give to someone who's trying to get into no-code tools, who's trying to be an entrepreneur, who's trying to build something, who doesn't have a, a tech background? So uh, you know, this applies with every type of business, not just technology, but it's especially applicable in tech. What happens and what I think in this world of, you know, apps that come and go and uh, businesses that are not profitable, like, I mean, I guess WeWork's not, a, they're trying to be a tech company, but they're not actually, they're a real estate company. But <laughs> in general, we'll see if they survive in, in, um, in technology, it's very, very easy and you can get sucked in to building the wrong product for the wrong group of people if it's not the wrong group of people, having the wrong functionality, Mm -hmm. not having it be structured correctly, 
And with tech, there's an unlimited amount of things that can go right, but there's an unlimited amount of things that can go wrong. So the best advice I can give someone who's building a tech product is the most one, the, the most important group of users in the entire lifetime of your company is going to be the first 10, 50, or 100. They are going to be the ones that form your entire product roadmap from their experiences. And without going into too much detail, I can tell you that the original product that we launched for PeerShare is vastly different than the product that exists today. And the reason is, is because we, we've docked 150, around 150, 175 boats, and the experiences of the first 10 boats are very different than the 110th, the 120th. And that's because we took all of our learning from those first couple boaters and all of the feedback they were giving us, and we improved upon our product exponentially since they docked. And what's funny is we actually do very long-term transactions, so some of those original 10, 20 people are still at docks as we've rewritten the system three or four times since they originally came in, which is actually quite shocking. So your first customers are going to have a totally different experience because you've been able to iterate so many times in the interim from the beginning of their contract to the end of their contract. So what's funny is we we rewrote the booking system essentially four times and the first version of the booking system but seen by some of the boaters that originally came in the system like a year and a half, two years ago, they would see something entirely different. And iterating the product from the first time they docked until now, it happened at light speed and the peak level of efficiency. There was no calling engineers to figure out what they had to do um, and, and having them retool everything. We literally were able to take feedback from individual dockings, from dockings 0 to 10, and then 10 to 25, 25 to 50. And we basically turned over the product, iterated, changed it, made it better, and the seamlessness of the dockings from the original 10, now until 125, 150, it's light and day difference. So in 18 months, you redid your product. You relaunched your product, essentially, four times. to, yes, and to, to extend you know that answer, uh, it would have taken a team of 10 to 15, enge- maybe not 10 to 15, five to seven engineers, maybe a year to a year and a half to maybe just do two or three of those iterations. We were able to do four or five with no engineers or a small team of three people, myself being the principal engineer, still at the Sages company. And... and we did it. We didn't have to spend any money. We didn't have to um, call anyone, depend on anyone. We just went in and did it, and that's it. I just want to touch on that one thing you just said. It's incredible. You have no tech background, but you were in fact the chief engineer of your company. At this, I don't anticipate still coding <laughs> when we have a thousand boats docked. But at this stage, it has to be me because I am a single founder. I could, you know, I could have done it with another person, but. That's the way all tech companies should be at the beginning. The person who has the idea and the one who forms the vision about how the company should be 10, 20 years from now, they're the ones that should be fixing the product now. It shouldn't be somebody else because somebody else, 
they wouldn't understand what's happening in the day to day. And when you have a communication mismatch between engineers and the, and the people who form the vision, that's where companies can go under. And I, I really truly believe that there's a lot of tech companies that go under in the beginning, not because of a lack of great ideas, but because they just couldn't get the product out the door because they had to iterate and they had to spend money and they just were never able to get to that next stage. And so let's look a little forward now. How many boats are you looking to dock in 2020? So we like we have about 40 boats docked actively now and paying. So we're kind of running like a mini marina in the cloud, decentralized. We like to have 150 to 200 boats docked at a time. So we like to triple it. Um, that's it seems that's, re- that's, 3x growth is great. Yeah, that's the goal. Maybe it'll be more. Um, we're just right now we're working on a mobile app to streamline everything and really take all the learning that we've had over the last year and a half, year year and a half, to really fix the product further and and try and get to those next 100, 200 boats. So your focus for the new year is a mobile app. Correct. To go alongside your web app and growth, getting more people on the platform. Right. I, I think that the product is mostly going to grow uh, through a mobile app going forward. The website's always going to be there. It's going to be kind of a showcase for all the docs and, and the policies, but the main interaction is going to be through a mobile app, and we can have both, and we can have both on both. Fantastic. Any last thoughts you want to share with the community? I would say that your company, you know, I may be a little biased here, but they made PeerShare possible, and it could be the bubble programming language may be the biggest impact or may have the biggest impact on technology in the coming decade or two because it will enable people to create businesses that otherwise never would have existed if it were not for both. I can't help but wholeheartedly agree. Well, thank you. Thank I you. I appreciate you appreciate coming you. on. Thank you so much. And uh, again, thanks for being my first and inaugural interview. And you know, I'm looking forward to see what you do in 2020. It's an honor. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you all for listening. Be sure to rate us wherever you get your podcasts. Find us on Twitter at Bubble. And be sure to tag us when you launch your next no-code hustle. There's nothing we love more than seeing you tear down the barrier between real problems and tech-enabled solutions, all without code.